Now, um, you'll be pleased to know that eventually the, uh, the preaching plan uh, is, is now on the website. So you can, um, you can check up that if you go onto the website. You can see that for the next, well, up until Easter and just after, we're going to be largely working our way through the book of Colossians, and, uh, which is a, a fantastic book uh, written, written by Paul. Um, and we, we started looking at it last week, and uh, now we're going to look at the second, uh, the second section of it, of it now, um, which begins uh, with the words, for this reason. Now, whenever a passage begins with for this reason, it's a good idea to read the passage before, which is why I asked Lorna to read again the bit that we had last week. And um, if, you, if you look back, um, well, in fact... I will ask you, here, here's a question, here we are, to see how, how astute you were last week and whether you're looking at your Bibles now. Um, what is the reason that Paul has not stopped praying for the people at Colossae? Have a look in your Bibles. For this reason, have a look back. For what, what reason is it? Hmm? Sorry? Their faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's one, of the, one of the reasons. Actually, there's a number of reasons here. There. He's, he's, he's heard about their faith in Jesus Christ. Yep. And? At the growth of the church. He's heard that the church has been growing. Um, and not only growing, but bearing fruit. Where? Just in Colossae? All over the world. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yep. Uh, he's heard about their faith. He's also heard about their love for all the saints. Uh, I mean, it's a, a, a very encouraging church for Paul to uh, hear about, although, as we said last week, he's never met them. This church was planted by his friend Epaphras, who's in prison with him and has told him uh, about the church at Colossae. And so he is praying for them uh, and he's giving thanks to God. And So he says, for this reason... Since the day we heard about you, in other words, since Epaphras first told me about this church at Colossae, uh, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, I wonder if, uh, if you could uh, actually say the same thing in your prayer life. I have to confess that if you were to ask me, I would not be able to say I've not stopped praying. I find my brain only can hold a certain amount of the time, you know? Do you, do you find this? Um, uh, multitasking and thinking about all these things is quite difficult. But I suppose if you're in prison, you've got not much else to do but sit and think about the things you should be praying for. So maybe we should all go to prison and then we'll be better prayers. Well, very often adversity uh, brings us to our knees, doesn't it? So, But Paul has not stopped praying for these Christians um, He's heard about them, he's heard about uh, their, the growth of the church, uh, and he's giving pr- thanks because actually they have come to realize the one true gospel, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he sums that gospel up in a very, very short and neat way um, in verse 13 of this passage, with the la- almost the last word, last verse. Here it is, for... He, that is to say Christ, has rescued, or beg your pardon, the Father, the Father. For the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, isn't that fantastic? And who can rescue us from the dominion of darkness? Only Jesus, who is the light of the world. He is the only one qualified to rescue us from the powers and the dominion of darkness. So no wonder Paul is giving thanks for them. No wonder he is praying for them, because that's a a noble task to spread this gospel all over the world. And so he he prays um, a few things. He prays that they will grow spiritually and bear fruit. Now, we had a very encouraging uh, day yesterday, those of us that were on the Alpha Away Day, I think. Um, so several people were there uh, with us. Um, and um, it was good to actually spend some time just asking God to fill us with his spirit so that we might grow spiritually. Um, but, you know, it's no good just going on an Alpha course and then going home and said, right, that's it. There's a lot more to it than that. And that's what Paul is actually praying in this letter. Not only will you grow spiritually, but that you will bear fruit. And we're going to come um, to that um, uh, shortly. Okay, so this is about spiritual growth. And, and the whole of this series uh, is, is, is based on the theme of spiritual growth, because that is what Paul is writing to the Colossians. He doesn't want them to just to uh, stay as they are. He wants them to grow spiritually. Um, another word for that would be discipleship. Yeah, we're not told to go and make converts. Oh, good, we've got one. Sitting in a pew, we'll go and get another one. We're supposed to make disciples. And that means growing, learning uh, from Jesus and growing in faith. And when will we have achieved this? Well, we will have achieved this when we've reached fullness in Christ. Wow. Put your hand up if you've reached fullness in Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Well, do you know, we are all saints. If you've believed in Jesus, you are saved, you are redeemed, you are in the kingdom of light. But to reach fullness in Christ is a goal which Paul has in mind, um, and we'll come back to that in some later passages. It's a recurring theme of Colossians, fullness. The word pleroma in, um, in Greek means this depth, fullness, completeness, um, which uh, we are supposed to reach. Now, uh, perhaps you can show me the, the, the slides up there. Um, I think we should... Um, I, I can, uh, I'm now in control, hopefully. Here we go. Look at that. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. It's all about spiritual growth, and we are aiming at fullness in Christ. But you know, I think there's often a problem. Uh, You look at that tree there, it looks fantastic, doesn't it? Let me just show you this. It's a bonsai tree. It is. That tree is probably only about a foot tall. Now, we were all looking at this magnificent tree that had grown up, and now we look at it, and it's actually a bonsai tree. And, you know, at one of my elders' meetings at at Totterdown, we were thinking and praying about the series we're going to do, and it suddenly occurred to me, this this expression, bonsai Christians. I wonder how many of us are actually bonsai Christians because our roots are not going deep enough into Christ. 
but actually the growth and the fruit that we produce is stunted because we're not growing as a tree should. Now, I don't know if you're into bonsai. I, I bought one for my dad for his birthday, actually. I, I see it's d it died. But um, anyway, sorry, Dad. Um, you know, um, you deliberately take the tree out and then you cut the roots back and then you stick it back in a cramped pot in order to keep it small and looking rather nice. But it's not growing to be what a tree ought to be. It's only a bonsai tree. And uh, I wonder to what extent uh, many people are bonsai Christians. And so Paul prays a number of things for the Christians in Colossae so they might be fully grown, mature Christians rather than bonsai Christians. Let's have a look what he prays. Paul prays, first of all, that God will fill you with a knowledge of God's will. Um, I don't know if any of you like uh, quiz programs, like University Challenge, um, and things like that, but, uh, you know, some of those people have got heads full of knowledge, haven't they? They know about everything. Well, everything except the Bible. <laughs> Do you notice, actually on Countdown the other week, there were these two very clever young guys, one doing a master's degree, and um, they, they chose for their for their final round, the theme of the Bible. And, and, and the question was, the question was, uh, one of them was, uh, name any person that is in the, in, the, in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And of course, you've got to get a pointless answer, so no one, so you couldn't have King David or Abraham. But, uh, uh, and they, they didn't know any of them. Well, they said Ezekiel. But, uh, you know, uh, so a load of people just have got loads of knowledge. Some people haven't got any knowledge about the Bible. But you can have all the knowledge about the Bible, but it may not be enough. Having knowledge, having a master's degree or a PhD or whatever it might be, uh, isn't what this is on about. It's about not just factual knowledge, but the knowledge of God's will. Uh, in short we need to ask the question, as we've said before, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do here? Uh, how often have we said, wouldn't it be great if Jesus were to walk in the door and say, look, fellas, this is, this is the situation, that's what you should do. We might not like what he tells us to do, uh, because it might be a hard thing, but actually knowing what Jesus would do is having a knowledge of God's will. And, and so it's not just about knowledge, but it also, Paul prays for spiritual wisdom. And there is a big difference, isn't there, between spiritual, between wisdom and knowledge. Now, in the, in the old, uh, some tribal areas, um, the elders of the tribe are held in high esteem because they have the wisdom of the tribe and they pass it on. They, they become elders because they are wise in their tribe. But what's happened uh, in, in Western countries like ours is that now a lot of young people have all the knowledge in the world because they have their Google and they get out their Google and they, they can tell you anything you want to know. What do you want to know? Anything you'd like to know? Um, I, could, I could tell you everything about it um, by just going up and looking on the internet. All the knowledge in the world is at our fingertips. Is that the same as wisdom? It isn't, is it? Um, I was once, uh, someone once said, it's like 
Giving the internet to a small child is a bit like giving them a scuba diving kit before they've learned to swim. I mean, they've got all the equipment, but it's going to go, and they're going to not be able to... So actually, having knowledge is one thing, but having wisdom is quite another. Knowing what to do with that knowledge, knowing how to interpret it, and, um, and to know what God is saying into a situation requires spiritual wisdom. And another word here, he prays for understanding. Now, there's lots of things I do not understand. But, you know, we seek understanding. Uh, but we have to sometimes have faith because we can't understand everything. One of the things that was said in the Alpha talks yesterday was um, somebody who said, well, actually, I used to think that I would understand um, and then I would believe. But actually, I found that if I come to believe, then I get understanding later. That's not to say we switch off our brains, but actually understanding comes by using wisdom to interpret knowledge. And we gain deeper and deeper understanding. And I think we need it a lot now, because there's so much false news out at the moment, isn't there? I mean, you can find any news you like. You know, if, if you want a particular piece of information, you can adapt it and you can find the version of it that you like. Whether it's true or not is another matter. In fact, I understand that the White House has coined the phrase alternative facts. Alternative facts. Nonsense, isn't it? You know? Um, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are things that we really need in this day of age of communication, of information, technology, um, and, and so much false stuff out there how do we make sense of it? Well, no wonder Paul is praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's a great prayer, isn't it? One of the things that Paul is writing this letter for is to refute heresy and false teaching in the church. We don't know exactly what that false teaching was that the people in Colossae. But no doubt they were getting information. It wouldn't have been via Twitter but it would have been via people that came in with alternative versions of the gospel and alternative understandings and interpretations which were taking them astray. And so Paul writes to, to refute the heresies and to make sure that they keep to the truth. Now those, that false teaching may come externally. It could be groups for example, the, now they, there are different cults that get hold of people and persuade them that their version of the truth is correct. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses will come to your door and try to persuade you that their version of the Bible is correct. Um, and, you know, and they can be very persuasive because they've learnt lots of pat answers to every question which they normally get. But they don't necessarily have wisdom and understanding because what they believe refutes the central fact, which is uh, truth of Christianity. It could be internal things in, within the church that are causing people. And uh, one um, commentator described it as religious twaddle. Well, if I'm ever guilty of religious twaddle, come and tell me, okay? Because we don't want religious twaddle, we want truth. And we want uh, to hear God's word in plain language. So Paul writes to them, and, and his main message is this, knowing Christ is everything. 
It doesn't matter how many encyclopedias you've got. Encyclopedias are useless now, aren't they? Did, 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 you, did you buy those things? I remember an encyclopedia salesman coming to my mum and dad's house when I was quite young and I was just starting grammar school and uh, they decided it would be a good idea to buy this set of Arthur Mee's encyclopedias or whatever they were. And, you know, I never read through them, but they're useless now, aren't they? It's all, all out of date, or well, most of it will be. Um, so knowing lots of things is one thing, but knowing Christ is everything. He is all sufficient. And so this knowledge of God's will, spiritual wisdom, understanding, is all about heading towards fullness in Christ and finding fulfillment in him. But Paul doesn't just pray for us to be wise so that we're wise people. And everyone says, oh, that's a wise person. He writes it in order that we might live a life worthy of the Lord. It's all very well having all the knowledge, but unless you put it into practice, it is useless. Theology without praxis uh, is of no use whatsoever. We need to be practical. We need to be have rubber boots on the ground. I think one of Ruth's illustrations was the boots on the ground. That's important. We need to put it into practice in our life. And that's the hard part. Um, I've said it before, preaching is easy. It's dead easy telling you lot what to believe. What is much, much harder is putting it into practice in my life this week. How to live a life worthy of the Lord. That's the biggest challenge, isn't it? Now, you're all going to be thinking about something you're facing this week. Uh, maybe a family issue, maybe a work issue, um, could be uh, you know, a health issue, whatever it may be. Living a life that's worthy of, of the Lord, that's the biggest challenge. And that our life should please God. I wonder, when we make a decision, what we buy, um, how we spend our time, do we actually say, what would please God the best? How I decide to act in the next hour. Uh, I, I suspect, if you're anything like me, that we don't always put that at the top. We usually say, oh, well, actually, I'd like that, or I'd love to do this, or whatever. You know, and that's okay, we, we've got... God gives us choices. We have to decide how we use our time. But actually, God, Paul's prayer is that we might live a life worthy so that we might please God in every way. Now, don't get this wrong. Paul is not saying that if you please God, he will love you. <laughs> he's not saying that. He's saying he, he does love you. He loves you deeply, and that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross, to take you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. And because of that, we should therefore try to live a life that pleases him. We're going to fail over and over again. But that's better than not trying, isn't it? Um, to live a life that pleases God. And then, if we live a life that pleases God, that we should bear fruit in our life. Now, um, when we were at the Alpha course yesterday, I, I noticed in the middle of the courtyard at Monk's Yard there, there's a little tree with some strange fruits on it. Does anyone know what it is? It's a medlar. Yep, it's a medlar. And um, it's not a very common fruit nowadays. You, you sometimes can buy them in the shop. 
but I, I knew what tree it was immediately because I saw these rather strange-looking fruits, and, uh, and therefore I could identify the tree. If it had got apples on it, I would have said, it's an apple tree, because I'm clever like that, you know. Uh, although it shouldn't have had apples on at this time of year, but it still had meddlers on, and I could tell what kind of tree it was. So if we are Christians, and we're living a life to please God, there should be fruit from our lives. And what is the kind of fruit that God wants? He wants us to grow in the, in the, in the, um, in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all those things. He wants, us to, he wants us to grow in the gifts that he gives us, and he wants our life to bear fruit so that other people come to know him. That's the fruit of the gospel. If what we have, we don't keep to ourselves, but we share it with other people. That's the challenge. And I was I'm delighted to get an email last night, straight after our Alpha course, from somebody who had been directed to me uh, by the Alpha Central website, who's got lots of questions about Christian faith and, and things. And, and, and he's really interested to find out he doesn't live very far from here. But isn't it interesting that someone is wanting to know, and I hope you're not wasting your time, he said. I said, you're not wasting my time. There's nothing I love to do more than try to talk to people about our faith. So, you know, hey, hopefully whatever we do, um, that we should hopefully bear fruit uh, in our lives. It's interesting that um, somebody from the folk thing wanted to come and start having a meeting in, in, in the, in the, in the um, stable. So that's, that's good, isn't it? Hopefully when we meet people, uh, if we're having fruit from our lives, people will be affected by how we live our lives. That's the aim. Bear fruit in every good work. Not just in preaching or leading worship. Those kind of spiritual things. Every good work, serving in the charity shop, uh, whatever it is, writing, um, you know, writing websites, or um, you know, doing practical jobs, or whatever it may be, looking after children, um, teaching them to swim, uh, woodwork, uh, and looking around and seeing all the things that you do, um, you know, serving in the stable, in every good work that we do, we should bear fruit. Isn't that good? We've all got different gifts, and therefore God's going to use us in different ways, so the fruit will come in different, uh, different forms. Okay, and the prayer goes on. Not only should you bear fruit in every good work, but that you will be strengthened. I don't know. Find, find uh, you know, I don't have the strength I used to have. Do you find that? Oh, poor old man. Yeah. Um, we need strength, and in fact, uh, you know, we, we are weak people, aren't we? And if you think you're strong, well, could I have a bit of yours, please? Um, Paul knows that we are all weak. He is writing from prison. All of his freedom has been taken away. All of his abilities to travel and preach have been taken away from him. And he asks from prison that they be strengthened according to God's glorious might. Because Paul knows that in his weakness, God's strength is shown. So if you're feeling weak, good. Pray that God will fill you with his strength so that the work is from him and not from you. And then there's one more thing in this prayer. Ha-ha. Endurance and patience. If you're feeling weak and you're feeling under strain and... Uh, 
you're, you're struggling to live a life worthy of the Lord and uh, you're struggling to understand and have the wisdom that you need. Actually, Paul is praying for endurance and patience. He doesn't want, uh, you know, the kind of trees that, that grow up quickly and then when the sun comes out, they wither. That's no good. Uh, he, he doesn't want you to be a tree that grows and has the roots clipped, but he wants us to be trees that put down deep roots. So when the desert conditions come, uh, when, when the storms blow, uh, when the drought comes, actually we will continue to grow, to continue to bear fruit. And sometimes it's in the drought and it's in the, it's in the winter that actually the strengthening occurs in a tree. Now later on, uh, we'll be looking at rooted in Christ and how trees grow. I think uh, Dylan's going to be doing that, aren't you, Dylan? So, I hope so. I thought I'd give you a good passage, Dylan. Um, you know, um, hopefully we, we continue to grow, but we need to endure. A tree does not become a tree overnight. It starts off as a little seedling and then a sapling, and, and then hopefully it will grow to be a tree. There's a nice little sapling which I've identified in the church garden. It's a walnut, and um, uh, I've talked to Steve, and there's several self-seeded walnuts out there. It's going to the bottom of the manse garden soon, okay? Mm. So in a few years' time, you will see a magnificent walnut tree at the bottom of the manse garden. And that's what we all uh, hope to be, God hopes us all to be, big trees that will bear fruits. And uh, then Paul ends with a word of hope. Verse 12, he gives thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Isn't that wonderful? We, there's an inheritance for us as being these saints that grow, not just bonsai Christians, but as we grow. We, you inherit the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Well, I think it's amazing. That look convinced, but, uh, but I think that's pretty amazing that we actually have an inheritance which is our hope that we keep our eyes fixed upon. In the inheritance of the saints, a shared inheritance bought for us by Jesus in the kingdom of light.